If I haven't got to meet you yet this morning, my name is James Ricker. I'm the high school coordinator here at Mount Horeb. I started working um, in January with the youth staff, and it has been an awesome ride. I've gotten to go to Costa Rica with the students. We've been to camp all summer, and it has just been an awesome time. And so let me say first, just thank you so much for letting me serve and be a part of your students' lives. I got to tell you, there's something special happening in our high school ministry and our student ministry um, as as a whole. Um, I think our team is really excited to see the growth that's happening in our students um, and the excitement that's around it. And so just wanted to say thank you right off the bat. Um, Man, it's so good to be in here this morning and getting to speak with y'all. I, not long ago, was, was sitting in those seats as a seventh grader with my family uh, when I first moved into town from Tennessee, and it's just crazy what God has done. My old youth pastors, Andy and Whitney, if y'all remember them when I was in middle school, um, and then having Trevor and Christina kind of lead me, and now Trevor's my boss. And so this is so weird. It's so different. Um, but they have been consistent, and it's people like that who have, uh, who have helped change my life and have, uh, have pointed me on the direction of Jesus, and so I'm so thankful for them as well. A um, little bit about me. Uh, I just got married in about—thank you. <laughs> I have a ring to prove it. Uh, we got my wife, Haley. Jeff pointed her out earlier. I would ask her to stand up, but we went hiking yesterday and somehow ended up hiking like nine miles. And so if I fall down, like, it's, just forgive me, but I'm not going to ask her to stand up because we're super sore. Uh, but my beautiful wife, Haley, we got married about five months ago in April, and it was so much fun. It was a great day. Um, actually, this time last year, I had just gone to buy the engagement ring. And so some of you fellows in here, you know that feeling, the, uh, the intense emotion, the, the hard work of having to save up to buy a diamond ring. And, and all that kind of stuff. Um, this time last year, I went to a little a jewelry store in Lexington and, uh, and got her ring, and it was so awesome. And I had this idea. I wanted to propose to Haley, but I didn't want to do it casually. Um, when, I li- when I do things, I like to do them big and, and flamboyantly and memorable for whatever reason. And so I decided we both love California, and so I wanted to propose to her, and I had this in my head, and I wrote it down in my journal. I wanted to propose to her on the beach at sunset in California with my best friend there and then have somebody um, photograph all of it to document it. And so I buy this ring and the first thing I want to do is go propose to her right away. Uh, And I know some of us know what that feeling is like. And so I, I put it in my dresser and I just prayed that I would never, that I wouldn't touch it again. And so a month later, Um, After I had written out and planned everything, I called my friend who's a photographer in the L.A. area um, and was like, hey, can I hire you to come just hang out with us all day? And then will you just nonchalantly take pictures of us when I propose to her? And so he was really excited, and my best friend who lives out there was going to show us around. And so um, the a month— So a month later in October, last October, we flew out to L.A. and we spent time with friends. And I got to tell you, Haley, you kind of saw it coming, didn't you? Yeah, I'm not very smooth. Um, I tried to play everything off cool. But like I said, I had this ring in my backpack with me everywhere we went, and it was just burning a hole in my pocket. And um, it was a blessing that I didn't propose early. Um, And so we, we get out to California. 
and we're hanging out with our friends. We go out to lunch, and um, there's this random photographer friend hanging out with us, and I was just like, oh, he's just going to take pictures of us today because no big deal. <laughs> and so we decided, one of the plans that we had after talking to this photographer, he knows the area, he said, Laguna Beach is the perfect spot to propose to your uh, girlfriend. And so I was like, that sounds great. So I looked up an image on Google uh, of a specific spot in Laguna Beach, some sort of cove, uh, nooked away, and I said, that's where I'll propose to her, this spot. So I looked it up on my maps and had it ready, and so we had everything planned to go perfectly. But how many of us know that in life things don't always go as we plan, right? You see where this is going? Um, she said yes, like she's here, so that happened. But uh, so we get to, we drive to Laguna Beach, and I told Haley, we're just going to go see Laguna Beach and hang out. If you remember, I told you that we were going to, I was going to propose to her at sunset. And when is sunset? It's at night. It's in the afternoon. And we got to Laguna Beach around noon. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so again, I'm not very smooth. I didn't have all of my plans figured out. And so we just walked around for the next five hours. <laughs> So we're in an unfamiliar state with some friends, and, you know, at, we went to lunch, we walked around and, and did a little shopping, and just, but there's, there's only so much shopping and walking around on a beach that you can do, but we had to wait until sunset. And so, finally, this is around 4 p.m., we were looking, we're, we wanted to go scope out the exact place where I was going to propose to her, because my photographer friend and my best friend we're going to go and set up a little picnic area on the beach and set up the stage to, for, so for me to propose to her. And so we get to this area that I had looked at, and I trusted Google. I trusted you, Internet. <laughs> and the spot where I wanted to propose had a huge do not enter sign. The waves were not like it looked on, on the Internet. It was actually the waves were crashing up against the rock. Uh, there was nowhere we could have, I could not have proposed to her in that area unless we were underwater, and I'm not a good scuba diver. And so we had to think on our feet because I still wanted to propose to her, wanted to do it at sunset on the beach in Laguna Beach. I, I don't know why, but this is, this is what we were going to do. So my friends, they sent me and her to dinner at 4 p.m. Uh, it's a little early for us, and so we, we go to dinner, and we have this nice steak dinner, and it, it's, it's special. I'm trying to make conversation, trying to not show all of my feelings, but it's kind of obvious. My friends go out, and they start scoping the beach for a good area where they can set this picnic up so that I can propose. And as soon as they find it, time was winding down. We had just gotten our dinner, and my friends started texting me, and I know it's not polite to be texting when you're on a nice date, but this was important. And my friends were like, the sun is going down. If you want your picture, you need to go right now. And so we literally just started cutting into the steak. I was like, hey, Haley, I don't know how to describe this, but my friends, you know how they left? Yeah, well, they went and did a thing or whatever. They need us. They need our help. And so we need to go right now. And so we ate the food as fast as we could, got the bill, paid for it. I grabbed her hand, and the restaurant we were in was walking distance from the beach. And so they actually gave me their location, because on an iPhone you can send somebody your coordinates. So they gave me their location of where it was at. I grabbed her hand. We awkwardly left our 4 p.m. dinner 
nothing strange is happening. And we, <laughs> so I walk her down to the beach and we get there and I don't see this spot. I don't see the picnic spot. And Haley can remember, they actually have this on video. I just stood there on the beach for a second because this was a monumental day. And I stood there and I was like, all right, God, please show me where is this spot? Because I'm about to just propose to her right now, and all of this will have been done for nothing. And my friends acted like a bird and was like, it's over there to your right. And so I was so, I was like, this is like my, I gotta be like manly. I gotta be macho. This is cool. You know, we're gonna tell our kids about this one day. And so I like looked over and I saw it and I was like, yes. So I grabbed her hand again. I said, hey, babe, we're going over here. By this time, you can assume we all knew what was happening. And so I walk her over to the little picnic area, and things finally started to get real. I can actually show you a picture of one of the pictures our photographer took. Oh, man. Makes me want to cry. So, but we did it. We did it on the beach at sunset in Laguna Beach, and I don't know how we did it, but it was awesome. And even as I try to describe this amazing day to you, I showed you a picture. It's impossible for me to convey all the feelings that were had that day. All the rush of emotion, the ups and the downs, the complete sweating nervousness that I was. I cannot convey that to you unless you were there. It's just one of those things. I can't ex describe how hard my heart was beating, how nervous I was and the long-awaited relief that came the moment that I dropped to a knee and proposed. And I didn't mention to tell you, I think I just started mumbling stuff. I don't remember what I said, but eventually I asked her to marry me, and she said yes. And so we did good. But again, as hard as I can try to describe that moment, there's nothing like just being there. See, some things in life are better participated in rather than observed. Y'all feel me on this. We understand this. Some things in life are better participated in rather than observed. Whether it's the difference between watching your favorite college football team win every week on TV, if you're a Clemson fan, whether it's the difference between watching them win on TV or watching them win when you're in the stands at Death Valley hearing everybody going crazy. Or maybe it's the difference between watching a new loved one be born in your family. And it's the difference between looking at a picture of the new child on Facebook versus actually being in the hospital and being able to hold your new family member. That's the kind of difference we're talking about because some things are better participated in rather than observed, and I know y'all know what I'm talking about. One of the core values here at Mount Horeb that we have is this idea over participation, over observation. You see, we believe that church is not a spectator sport. We have a deep conviction that if you call this place home, we want you to see this place as a family, not just a bunch of walls and, and seats, but a family, and not just another block in the schedule that we try to squeeze in and fit in if we have time. You see, the church as a whole can easily become a place where people come to sit in the stands and cheer and not become a place where people come to get into the game. In our culture, 
especially here in the South, church for many individuals and families alike can become a place that just encourages consumerism. Just come and take, come and get, and that's it. Questions like, are they playing the songs that I like? Was the pastor funny? Was my parking lot, was my parking spot too far away from the doors? Was somebody in my parking spot? And they know it. Did they talk about money too much? I won't do that today. Did they fix my kid? Or when is that youth pastor going to get my kid to start obeying me now? Trust me, we're trying in the youth department. We're doing our best. But see, we, we see this at some level, that church can sometimes have a lot more preference going on than praise. Sometimes church can have a lot more consuming going on than contributing. Which would all be fine if God had set things up where we had no part to play in his plan. But God instead chooses to actively use us right where we're at. And church, that's a good thing this morning, that we get invited into something bigger than us. See, this idea that church is an event or a show put on for us to attend, it seems to contradict the life that Jesus modeled for us and seems to contradict the life that Jesus is offering for us to take a part in. See, Jesus was never recorded saying to people, hey, are you coming to church this weekend? Or I'll see you Wednesday at, uh, at Bible study, or me study, I guess. <laughs> he, never, he never saw life in the, the way that we compartmentalize our lives today. See, to Jesus, everything was spiritual. He never had this idea of a, of a work life versus a spiritual life and a family life versus a sports life or maybe your school life. See, for him, his movement was not just an event, but it was a lifestyle. And this lifestyle was not just for him to be high and mighty about. He actually talks about bringing us into this lifestyle throughout Scripture. See, at the heart of everything Jesus says is an invitation. What Jesus invites us into is a participation of the arrival of the kingdom of God. Not just to come and watch, but to participate in, because there's something in that for all of us. Let's read together Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. This is when Jesus comes to the two brothers— and this is the first time he's recorded saying, all right, this idea of, hey, come and follow me. And so he says this in Matthew 4, 19. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So Jesus says, follow me. And in this time, it would have been normal um, being a rabbi to have what we would call a disciple. And disciples were just students that would follow under and learn from their master, their rabbi. So Jesus actually goes on to say 22 more times throughout the New Testament this idea of, hey, come follow me. And so if he says it 22 times, I think we should pay attention to it and, uh, and look and see um, what it has for us. And so Jesus says, follow me to his disciples, and today he's telling us to follow him. He says, follow me to the students who would learn from their master to do what he does. 
Because one day, Jesus knew that he was going to leave and hand over the task of his kingdom to those who would decide to follow. In fact, he even said that it was better that he would go because we would do greater things than him in his name. And these are all things that can happen when we take all of our knowledge of Jesus from our head and actually play it out into our hands and into our lives. In this follow me process, there's a natural progression when Jesus says to follow me. And we're all on the spectrum at some point because I believe that Jesus is inviting all of us in here, no matter what your past is, no matter how young or old you are, he is always inviting us to come and follow him regardless of where we've been. And so on that spectrum, there's this idea of come and see. And so we do that. We come and we see. But then we would hopefully experience Jesus. And by experiencing him, we would change. And then we would do that our actions and our life would reflect this relationship with Jesus. And so all of us, again, like I said, all of us in this room are on the spectrum of this follow me. Maybe some of us are even going, they're hearing, hey, follow me, and you're just saying, no, it's not for me. The good news is, is that Jesus doesn't stop inviting you to following him. And so whether it's your first time here, which by the way, welcome to Mount Horeb, we're so happy that you're here, um, or if you've been coming for years, there's always a next step that we can take with Jesus. And so I believe in what we're going to talk about this morning is this idea of having humility. Because humility ultimately leads us to serving others and making life not just about us. See, disciples don't just watch. Disciples do. If we, you read through the New Testament and you realize that the disciples, they did. They watched Jesus. They questioned him. So many times Jesus was like, guys, don't you get it? Like, bonk him over the head. But they didn't just watch, they ultimately did, or else we wouldn't be here today. Because the church has continued to grow. And it's the same for us. It's also the same with working out. Does anybody in here like doing push-ups, by any chance? Yeah, me neither. Um, it seems like some of y'all, though, y'all have gotten your push-ups in, and I'm very proud. Um, but with push-ups, just for an example, I'm not going to do anything for you. I don't, I don't want to boast. We're talking about humility today. I'm just kidding. Um, the thing about push-ups, though, is I could read the best-selling book on push-ups. I could read it every day, and I could tell people about it, and I could just continue to read it over and over again, and it would do nothing for my body. Or I could sit on YouTube and watch YouTube videos of how to do the perfect form push-up, whether that's military style or wide or, or however it is. I could read about how your blood circulates differently when you're working out and how your muscles tear apart and come back together stronger. And I could learn everything I could learn about a push-up. But it's not until my body hits the floor and I push myself up that anything actually happens to my muscles. Any growth happens. That's the only way that I would become stronger. And it's the same way in our relationship with Christ. We can learn so much. We can, we can gather so much. We can consume so much. But until we spiritually hit the floor and push up, it doesn't really do much good. See, James, the brother of Jesus, says this um, in James chapter 1, verse 22. He talks about this idea of um, being a doer, not a hearer. It says this, James 
1, 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. See, Jesus comes and he invites us to be free from this prison of making our lives all about us. Some of you are nodding your heads, you understand what I'm talking about. He invites us to be free from the prison of making our lives all about us. How counterintuitive. This invitation is for us to take part in something bigger than us individually. It's for us to take part in the good news that changed the world forever and is continuing to change the world today. And that is the good news of Jesus Christ. See, what we're talking about today, why we would gather on a Sunday, is this. Jesus is calling us to, one, humble ourselves, and to, two, serve at some capacity in our lives. See, when we begin to realize that any given Sunday has potential, and that there is a future that we, that God wants us to be a part of, there is a future full of hope, we're going to need to realize that we need to be humble and that we need to serve others in some capacity of our lives. When I was in high school, which was like not very long ago, I had this small group leader named Joe Montz. And um, I don't know if, yeah, nobody, nobody knows Joe, but that's okay. Joe was what some people refer to as a man's man, okay? He's, he's the typical tall, dark-haired guy, deer-hunting, fearless, bearded man, um, extremely loud and obnoxious. Uh, sometimes it was a little too much, especially when we were in the crowded church atrium, but he was perfect for a high school boy's small group. He was wild, he was crazy, but he was super lovable. Um, he was always at the church where we went, and I'm pretty sure everyone um, thought that he worked there. And I was surprised, we were actually all surprised, when we found out that Joe didn't work at this church, that he was just there all the time because he wanted to be. And what's cool about Joe is that, that he was this infamous guy within the church, and he asked me to be in a small group. And as a kid, you know, you make, you make people your hero. And whether you believe it or not, you know, young folks look up to, to you, to us. And I'm starting to realize that more and more as I get to minister and, and do life with middle schoolers and high schoolers, is that they are actively looking for somebody to look up to. And so I looked up to this guy named Joe. I thought he was so cool. He was so funny. And when he asked me to be in a small group, I was so excited. And throughout the years, we had countless texts and phone calls going back and forth with each other. Um, when I experienced problems, when I didn't know what to do in a certain situation, when I had girl problems, believe it or not, or when he would talk me off the ledge because I was convinced that I was going to run away from my parents this time. Again, I was in high school. I didn't know everything, and I really still don't. But what was cool about Joe is that Joe was always there. Joe always seemed to be able to have a response to, to something I asked him, and he was always there, and he always made me feel heard. And you know those kind of people that have helped you in your life. Somebody that was just there for you. He was able to be present with us. See, Joe always shared stories of how Jesus was changing him and what he was learning. And it always left us wanting more of this Jesus that he talked about. 
Thinking back on it now, it's kind of crazy that this 20-something-year-old young man, who was the life of the party everywhere he went, decided to spend his time investing in a bunch of students at church. I mean, this guy was the life of the party. Anywhere he went, he drew a crowd. And he could have been anywhere on those Wednesday nights, but for some reason he decided to invest in me and other students my age. So what's so cool about Joe is that he had this idea of service. He had this lifestyle of service. His impact on me and my friends inspired me to follow God even when it was hard. He helped me take my faith from some list of ideas in my head to an actual lifestyle of a walk with Christ. And I believe this, if had it not been for Joe, and had it not been for Andy and Whitney, had it not been for Trevor, so many youth leaders that I had growing up, if they hadn't helped show me the way when I was younger, um, I wouldn't be standing here today, I can guarantee you that. I got to share some of my story with our students last week, actually. I got to share some of my testimony, and I'll spare you the details right now. But a lot of my testimony has to do with youth leaders and volunteers and staff coming around me and helping lift me up when I couldn't walk on my own. When I was broken, when I was depressed, when life had handed me a bad amount of cards, the actual church, like within the walls, um, youth leaders helped me stay sane and helped me stay on this path and ultimately led me to Jesus, which gave me a passion to now help other students who are going through the mess that life is, that we're all, that we all are accustomed to and we realize. And I'm not sure if you have ever had a Joe in your life, right? Or maybe you are somebody's Joe. Regardless, what I love about him is either way, he encompassed this lifestyle of humility and service. And as much as I like to make a hero out of him, the minute that we take a step back and realize that we can do the same for others, well, everything might just change. And so, see, I know Joe now. I'm his age that he was when, when he was my leader. But we're friends now. And I've learned now that he wasn't a perfect Jesus-following Christian. He didn't have all the answers. He didn't have it all together, but he was available. And he had his hands open. And I think that's so much better. Because it shows me, and it showed me, that you don't have to be this perfect rule follower for God to use you. But that you would be available and your hands would be open. And I'm a living proof of somebody who served, of somebody who served, and now, like, my life has changed, um, has been changed completely. And every week here at church, we have people who serve just like this. See, again, I said, every week there's an opportunity for somebody's life to be changed. And so many of us believe that, and that's why so many people volunteer. You, you had a hand uh, shaken at the beginning of the service. Somebody was greeting you. Uh, you had stuff on the slides because we have a production team. Um, I'm actually being recorded right now. What's up online? Because we have somebody running the cameras. We have so many people going in and deciding, hey, I'm going to make life bigger than just me, and I want to serve into a greater, um, a bigger life. I want to serve into a bigger picture. And it's because of humility that people can serve others. In fact, in the book of Philippians, Paul writes to this new church talking about the shared life in the kingdom of God that I talked about earlier. Let's open up to Philippians chapter 2, and we'll read verses 1 through 4 together. So let me contextualize this. Paul is writing to this new church, 
And they had never done church before this way because Jesus hadn't been there yet. And so they're trying to figure out how to run and how to run things and how to lead. And, and so we can give them a little bit of slack because they don't have the context that we had. So Paul says this, Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, and we'll come back to that in a minute, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. See, Paul is in awe that there are people who seem to say they have a shared understanding of this kingdom of Jesus, yet they value themselves over others. He's saying basically, hey, if any of you were paying attention when Jesus was alive, if any of you took any notes, then you would realize that we should be putting others above ourselves and that we should not be living life to just elevate ourselves, but that we could help serve other people. But we have to cut them some slack because the, the people in Philippi had never had a leader like Jesus. See, before Jesus, the only thing people had to, see, to look at um, as far as leaders were people like Augustus Caesar and all these Roman conquerors who led with power and with force, who divided and conquered and used fear to manipulate people. And so we see this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. As we finish out this verse, we'll see what Paul is talking about. He says, Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, what, what Paul is saying here. He's talking about how Jesus sacrificed himself. He was this leader who was humble, and it was somebody that people had never seen before Jesus. They had never experienced a leader who led with love, who led with selflessness. And so Paul is saying, have this mind amongst yourself. Notice when we talk about humility, when we talk about service, he didn't say have these actions. Because Paul understood that when we respond to Jesus, he first changes our heart. He changes our mind first because we know that we're not just religious people that do things on the outside hoping that we might have change on the inside. But he knows that we are changed on the inside and therefore our outside actions reflect the heart change that we've had. And so he says, have this mind amongst yourselves. The word mind in the Greek is this word, phroneo. Turn to your neighbor and say, phroneo. Froneo. Froneo means an inner perspective, a deep understanding, an opinion which fleshes itself out in action. So when Paul is talking about have this mind among yourselves, it's not just have this theology, have this thinking in your brain, but it's a, t it's a kind of mind that 
responds in action. It fleshes itself out in action. So what would that look like for us, church, today, if we all decided to have the same mind as Christ, to think of others in front of us, to serve others? When we begin to have the same mind as Jesus, we can see any given Sunday as more than just an on-the-service event, but rather a greater kingdom that we can step into and take part in every week. It's through serving that we reflect this love of Jesus to our kids, our students, our families, and our adults here at the church. You can take this to the bank. When humility is a habit, service is a reflex. When humility becomes our habit, service becomes our reflex. And I'm standing here today because people decided to serve me and share the love of Jesus with me. And so I'm here to tell you that your small act of service could have an eternal impact. Your small act of service today could have an eternal impact. The other thing I want to say is that your act of humility can open us up to what really matters. Your act of, will, of, of humility can awake you to what truly matters in life. Because we know that it's better to serve than to be served. It's better to give than to receive. Because the more that we try to make life all about us and accumulate, the more stuff we need and the more empty we feel. But the quicker that we can start to serve others is the quicker that we can experience Jesus and experience fullness. But here's the truth. I can't do this for you. The church can't make you do anything. I can't save you. I can't change your opinion. It's something that you and Jesus get to do together. Maybe some of us in here are being called to step out of just, partic of just observing church or life or whatever it is and start participating in the greater kingdom that we have the ability to do here. Because some things are better participated in rather than observed. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for this group of people. God, that you love so much. They represent so many stories, so much life that has happened in this room, so much wisdom, so much hope. God, I thank you that you love each and every one of us and that you are always inviting us to follow you. And so God, whether that be somebody to follow you for the first time today or someone to continue to take a step with you, God, I want to give an invitation right now. If there's someone here in this room who today they want to decide to follow Jesus for the first time, if they want to respond to this call like he did to his first disciples, I want to give us a moment to be able to do that. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to accept Jesus as your Savior today, and you want to talk to somebody about it afterwards, I'd ask you to raise your hand right now, just as an outward expression of what's happening on the inside. My second invitation for us today is if you're sitting in here and you don't want to let just life keep happening to you, but you want to have this same mind as Christ and step into a greater story and start serving 
It may look like serving in church. It may look like serving your spouse. Maybe your kids. Maybe the people who aren't the easiest to love at work. If that's you and you say, I want to start serving, I want to make my life based off of humility, off of Jesus, then I would like for you to raise your hand as well. Jesus, again, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your ultimate humility and your sacrifice that you died for us so that we could know you and you actually want to get to know us and use us in our lives right now, not when we have everything figured out, but while we're in the mess. Jesus, we thank you so much for your sacrifice. And in your name we pray, amen.